You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Glad you are with us. Today we're going to take our text from Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar passage to us, a conclusion and application that the Hebrew writer draws because we have seen the outcome of the life of faith in so many people. In chapter 11, it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the folks of Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus has gained the victory. He has run his race, and as uh, those in athletic competition uh, would receive a laurel, laurel and get to stand on the podium, and be recognized, and then go sit in the seat of honor and receive their congratulations. Jesus has run his race, and he has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the shame, despised that, and he endured the cross for our sake and became perfect and guided us and teaches us in the right way of faith. So we are, in verse 1, to run with endurance, and we're to look at him while we run with endurance. And so running with endurance is difficult. Y'all do not want to know my best time in the mile. It's not good. Was it that fun? I guess it was. That incongruous a thought, me running a mile. Running it with endurance is hard. It's one reason among several I don't do it. Painful. I'm told there's benefits, even Paul said there's a a small benefit to bodily exercise. I'm not sure he's right on that, but he probably is because he's inspired. But we don't do things often that are hard because they're hard. But here's the thing we must do, though it is hard. Here's the thing in which we must endure. Here's the thing in which we must overcome the obstacles. Here's the thing we must be able to avoid that which entangles us and endure We do that by seeing Jesus. We do that by looking at Jesus. Our Christian life is so much of it unseen. There's so much of it we cannot see. And oftentimes we do see see it. We see it through misperceptions or cloudy vision. What we need to do is with clear eyes and a proper mind, we need to look and see Jesus And when you look and see our Christian life before us as it is. And what we find is that proper vision in these regards is really often very difficult. Now, I've been appreciative of the prayers uh, this week as my wife has had uh, surgery on her eye and that has gone uh, pretty well. And the doctor was pleased with the results. We'll go back tomorrow. And we'll get our second checkup from the doctor, not expecting anything other than a good report and a good result. Uh, And so uh, this week, though, with all this being in mind, 
we, I at least have had to think more about, you know, how we see the physical act, the, the physical mechanisms, and why it is they had to make some correction to hers, and thankful it's, you know, it's one of those, it's hers, not mine. Uh, we can be honest, right? Because, uh, man, think, poking around in my eye, not a fan. Even, even those 20 eye drops a day she gets, uh, glad, <laughs> I love her, glad it's her, not me. She's not here today. I can say those things. Don't give her the tape. <laughs> she's not, she, no, she's not feeling well. She's not in the parking lot today. So she's not even hearing us over the, over the broadcast. Don't give her the tape. <laughs> but what we find is that, or is she? Maybe somebody knows. Oh, she is. <laughs> Great. All right. As I was saying about the difficulties involved. Keeping vision straight is difficult, especially spiritual vision. And we have, we have often before us, we have often before us a false standard, which on its surface seems to be a reasonable one, which seems to be a safe one, which seems to be one that many people don't think there's any other way to live but than this, to live by the idea that seeing is <clears throat> believing. Many people believe that seeing is believing. But what we'll find is that seeing is not believing. Seeing is seeing. And even that can be fooled. Seeing is seeing. Seeing and believing are not the same thing. That's why we have two words. Right? They're not the same thing. Uh, But what we see guides us very much in what we believe. It's one of the reasons why optical illusions... And sleight of hand magic and things like that. It's why those things are so powerful. And we'll pay really good money for people to fool our eyes, won't we? One of my favorite entertainment acts is Pen and Teller. And, and they will tell you how they're fooling you. And they're good enough to do it while they tell you how they do it. Of course, one of the tricks of uh, magicians is, is that in every city that they go, there are people who have in their Rolodexes, or I guess now it would be their contact list on their phones, for those of you who don't remember what a Rolodex is, but there are people who have in their contact list, there are, there are uh, people who help put on shows and like, and they know where there are uh, adult uh, identical twins. And magicians, every city they go to, they can find a set of adult identical twins. You think, well, why would they need that? Well, you know why they need that, right? Because what do identical twins look like? And with the help of identical twins, of which we don't think about that on a regular basis, but there's enough of them out there that they can uh, be hired, uh, there are uh, these uh, strong illusions that are able to be pulled off, apparently, while people are watching and seeing everything, but they're not seeing everything. So even when we all are supposed to be concentrating on a thing, and we're supposed to be able to see everything, what's the magician doing? A little something to the side, a little something behind the back, just a momentary distraction with his hand while this hand does, does the thing. And we think, nobody could do that. Well, if you practice it for 10,000 hours, yeah, and especially if you're talented. And so even this idea of seeing is believing is shown in our own physical and temporal and literal experience not to be trustworthy. People still think that's the way they ought to live spiritually. But as it says in Romans 8, 24 and 5, 
It says, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And so here we are, in a seeing and believing world, we are hoping in what we do not see. And as the main heading here says, it's difficult. It is difficult to keep this in mind. And we remember Thomas. And, of course, he's named for the one bad moment that he had. He's forever known as Doubting Thomas. He's not known as Thomas the Twin, speaking of twins, as we just brought up. He's known as Thomas the Apostle. No, he's known as Doubting Thomas. And so, please, folks, live in a way that, you know, hopefully your one bad hour doesn't define you and name you. But you can't really do much about what people call you. And so be as faithful as you can. But what we find is Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus by them, called Doubting by us. So they called him the twin. We called him the doubter. He was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put in my finger in the place of the nail, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so even for apostles at times and for disciples like us, certainly, we can be sidetracked. We can be distracted from seeing the right thing by demanding to see, literally and physically, things that we need to believe by hope. We need this reminder that Paul gave the Corinthians on a regular basis, that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so we don't walk by the the appearance of this world, or even the things that the world actually does appear to make in front of us. We we don't walk by uh, the honors, by the uh, splendor, by the praise, uh, by the wealth of this world. We don't walk by the objects that this world can provide. But we have to say, those things can be awful alluring. Because boy, do they appear real. Boy, do they appear Uh, substantial they even appear at times to be uh, permanent but we have to live with the firm conviction of the things that we know by hope that like Thomas hadn't seen Jesus but the others had and they were uh, an adequate witness at least they should have been he had to believe and he had to live by the resurrection though he himself had not yet seen it so we need to live by the things that the scriptures reveal but the Uh, credible witnesses of inspiration tell us we need to live and have a firm conviction in the realities of the life of the Savior, the Redeemer that is now there, as we read from Hebrews 12, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God because he lived a perfect life here, that he has an unfading crown of glory reserved for all those who are faithful to him, that he ever lives to be our intercessor, Uh, That there is a real fellowship with him and the Father, and thus an important and real fellowship with the saints. There was one who was really resurrected that we just commemorated. There was one who really suffered and gave himself for our sins. We need to be reminded of all that, and we need to walk as if we can see that all the time. We need to walk as if we're seeing those things. Uh, In Galatians 3, on our Thursday night study, we recently begun Galatians. 
Galatians 3.1, Paul says, what, what are you doing? You're going off to this other thing. You to whom Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. He said, we portrayed Jesus to you. Did you forget that? And that's what much of the gospel is, portraying to people, informing them, teaching and showing them the reality of these things that we never can entirely see. But we need to see through the eye of faith and walk by faith. And so we need to live as though, and in reality, actually live depending on the unseen. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, so yeah, there's the thing you can see and feel, the outer man, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our inner man is renewed. The, the, the inner part of us that sees the unseen. And then we get the guys who go, no, but we can't see that. How does that renew us? How does that help us? How, how can I depend on that? I need to see a thing. Now, again, even those who walk by sight and not by faith, they believe and they trust in many things that they cannot see. Now, I realize there's a few people who try to make a point of proving the contrary. But I do believe that everybody has a brain. And when you talk to somebody who says, well, I can't go on what I don't see. I need to go on what I do see. Uh, they, we, they'll say to us, well, you know, really, I, I, need to, I need to see to believe. And we go, well, do you believe you have a brain? Do you believe you have a mind? And I go, yeah, it's right up here. I know it. Have you seen it? Right. Has anybody seen my mind? No. How, how do you prove you have one? For some, it would be an uphill battle. But how do you prove you have a mind? How do you prove you have a brain? Well, oh, somebody say, well, we saw an MRI. Oh, so you, okay, so you saw, you saw uh, through, uh, you know, imaging technology, you saw that uh, something was generated. You, you know, so, and, and also people say, well, we've seen anatomy studies, and everybody has Everybody has a brain, and we're sure of that. But, you know, actually, even if we could prove by sight that we actually had a brain, could we prove we had a mind? Because the gray matter is not the mind. The gray matter is just the container for the mind. The mind, like so many other things that we really do depend on in life, are something we cannot see. We can see their effects. And we can see, we certainly have enough reason to think they're there, but in, in honesty, we can't see them. And what does it say that God did in Hebrews eleven three? By faith we understand the worlds are prepared by the word of God, so that that which is seen was made out of that which uh, uh, are, uh, are not, was not made from things that are visible. Things which are seen are not made of things uh, were made of things not visible. It's amazing how many things that we really depend on all the time, we can't see them. Uh, I, I depend on oxygen. I'm a great fan of oxygen. Anybody ever seen any of that? Uh, hydrogen also exists, I believe that. Now, if you combine the hydrogen and the oxygen, I can see the water, right? But I, I can't see the oxygen, and I can't see the nitrogen. I can't see the carbon dioxide, which I'm really sure I'm expelling a good quantity of. I can't see the coronavirus, which uh, 
It's not here. Don't worry. There's none of it here. We can't see it. There's not in any not in, I haven't seen any yet. Uh, but not just that. I, I, I really do think the microwaves exist when they make my breakfast warm, even though I haven't seen it. I think the radio waves exist when I listen uh, with a device to it. But also gravity. I haven't seen electricity yet. I've seen its effects. It's amazing how much stuff we actually don't see, and we just, yeah, we can go with that because we can see its effects. Yet when it comes to God and the spiritual reality, what do we say? We don't walk by faith. We go, I can't see it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't have anything to do with me. But what we find is, yes, it, it, it is there. And there are these things and a hundred other things. God made these things in this world from other things that we can't see. And we think about the, the general scientific truth, ex nihilo nihil fit, which is nothing comes from nothing. And so we think about the, you know, the, the world tells us they claim to be scientific and say from nothing came everything. And we say rather, no, everything came from the mind of God. Why do we have flowers? God made them, right? Or why do we have the oxygen that, that sustains us? Uh, why do we have the trees that uh, give those off when they take in our carbon dioxide? God made them. Why do we have all of these lovely and wonderful things? They come from the mind of God. And just this week, just one more on the, with the wife and her, uh, her vision. We're looking out the window, kitchen window. And she says, hold on. She, she, she looks out and says, are there a bunch of mice out there? And I'm standing beside her and looking out the kitchen window. And I said, I don't see anything. Must be playing tricks. She said, no, something's over there moving. I move around so I can get a little different view. And what there is, there's a bunch of tiny little brown birds all jumping around on the ground. And uh, they're, they're, I don't know what they're eating, but they're over there eating something. And these, these birds are about the size and color of mice. And so, hey, you can see them. That's good, right? But uh, can you imagine, what, what would it take to make those? We couldn't, I mean, just try and start. But from the mind of God come these little bitty brown birds, and I don't know anything else about them, except that I see them from time to time as the seasons change around here. And then uh, she also says, as we're looking out the window and watching the birds, she says, look at those pretty flowers. And I was like, what? There are no flowers out there in our in that part of the yard and I look a little bit and there is this clinging vine of which I've mostly killed but not entirely that it grows through the to the chain link fence and I don't like stuff growing in chain link fences it's really hard to weed eat and get rid of and so I mostly spray it but I didn't get quite all of it this year and there's this little bitty vine all year long it's just kind of this wet sappy vine that's hanging on but it this week has bloomed the most beautiful blue flowers I'm sure one of you will tell me all about this vine and its genus name and all that and what these things are good for and useful. But I had never seen those little blue flowers. Partly because I kill that vine hopefully by this time of the year. And it's gone. But a little bit had survived. And there's these most uh, stunning blue flowers. It's like well you know if it did that all year. I might not weed, you know, round up it so, so heavily. But so just looking out the window. And you know partly to test out her uh, visual acuity. And things are going well from the surgery. We're watching these beautiful little birds. We're looking at these beautiful blue flowers. Uh, through the kitchen window, and it's like, yeah, this, this is pretty nice. Somebody made these things for us to see and enjoy. And most of the time, if we weren't looking out the window to just check our eyesight, I would have missed it. 
And we think of how many beautiful things we miss, even with our eyes that we think we can see everything and get a handle on things. But what we find is that, that there's a mind behind it. And we need to re- recognize that the, the mind that is behind that is the same mind that is behind what uh, we believe in and what, what it is that we set our hope in, even though we don't see it. And so just imagine if somebody, you know, I saw a couple of you, I like, talked about these little blue flowers on the vine. So a couple of y'all were nodding your head in recognition. You've seen these same blue flowers that are blooming right now. Imagine if you tried to explain to somebody who'd never seen one of these. You try to explain to them what this flower looks like. What beautiful shade of light blue it was. And you try to explain to them about that. And then if they'd never seen a bird, you try to explain to them about the little brown birds. And pretty soon that gets into discussion, like with your kids, or people like me who like to ramble. Large discussions about all the birds. Just try to explain to people who don't know about birds, birds. We sometimes face that task, I think, in trying to explain people the things of Scripture. They've never seen it. They, they, don't, they don't understand it. They don't have the vocabulary. They, uh, but we need to try and show them the glory of God. And so if I've missed those things and the glory of nature just that are available to see out my window, what other marvelous things have I missed? Today I did get to view for a few seconds the, uh, the beauty of the, all these leaves falling from the trees. Right? It's just a lovely thing. I like to watch that when it comes in its season. But how much stuff are we missing? How much are we missing in this world? But how much more are we missing from the mind of God, the mind that is behind all of this, when we don't recognize his spiritual reality? Speaking of prophecy, but it's true of all the truth of God, it comes, Second Peter 1.21, not from an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so God, with his paintbrush, has, has given us the landscapes and the sunsets. And God, with his, uh, with his word processor, as it were, with his pen, God has given us the scripture. And there is great truth and great beauty in both. And we miss so much of the both of them, of both of his revelations, because our actual sight is greatly limited And so is our spiritual sight. So let's talk about our actual sight for a minute. Our actual sight, we can only see the things that are here. And all the things that we see here are temporal. So one of the things about the the little blue flowers. If we were to do this exercise of looking through the kitchen window next week, we'll probably miss those little blue flowers, right? I don't know know how long they'll be there because I've never paid attention to them. But I doubt they make it a week. I remember when we lived in California. We lived about an hour from a large mountain, and people from all people would plan their travel schedules to be in our area to go up on that mountain for the one week a year when the poppies bloomed. And you get there a week early, or you get there a week late. But man, there is a week where the where the sides of the mountains are the most unbelievable shade of orange. But everything we see is only temporal. Now, they're not normally, most things aren't as temporary and as temporal as the wildflower, but so much of life is. And in reality, this entire world is that way. 1 John 2, 2.17, the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Every physical thing 
is but like the flower of the field. That's Isaiah 40, quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2. But the word of God abides. What we find is this world is passing away. Again, going back to 2 Corinthians 4, we read part of it a while ago. We'll continue to read now. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Even when it comes to these physical things, I find this to be a great irony. As my eyesight gets worse, I appreciate the things of beauty that God has made so much more. I wish I would have paid attention when my eyesight was good. But now that my eyesight's getting worse, I like that stuff a whole lot more, and I appreciate it more. But this world is passing away. Even my ability to view it is passing away. But I don't lose heart because as the outer man is decaying, I was waiting for the amens. Okay. But as the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And the momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. That's what we just said. And the things which are not seen are eternal. And so there's a thing which we can see right now, and it's just but temporary. And so our actual sight, if we went by just what we could see with our own eyes, we would never see anything that was lasting because everything we see is passing away. And also everything that we can see, because the creator has subjected the world to futility, everything we see is unsatisfying. Even when we are as most satisfied as we could possibly be. But the physical things of the world, it is ultimately unsatisfying. Uh, This goes with Matt's class this morning, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves abundance with its increase. This too is vanity. Yeah, it is. I got all that stuff because I was promised happiness. I got all that stuff because I was promised satisfaction. I got all that stuff because, I mean, look at the commercials. The people who use that stuff are happy. They are healthy. Uh, they they, they uh, uh, e- either uh, pick up women or get rid of women, at, depending on the, you know, whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing at the time. They do that with ease because they have this product, because they have this car, or they have this beverage, or they have this uh, food, or they have this whatever. And where is the happiness? Where is the satisfaction I was promised. I want my money back. Snickers says it really satisfies you. It doesn't. Right? Okay, now I'm a biggest fan of anybody of sugar and salt, right? And if I want to get a lot of both of those, a Snickers is a really good way to do that. It's great, right until the diabetes comes. But I didn't get satisfied. I want my money back. No, well, no, you got your Snickers bar. No, but I, I didn't want a Snickers bar. I wanted satisfaction. Well, what'd the stone say? Nope, can't get no satisfaction. These things that we can see and partake of in this world, they ultimately do not satisfy. Our mind can be content with them, and that is the best we can hope for, and even that is only with the help and direction of God. First Timothy 6, for we have brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing out either. I think Matt said that in class today. For if we have food and covering, with these we'll be content. Again, not 
not in a sense of some you know, true spiritual satisfaction, but contentment in them as receiving of a gift of God for a purpose and a time. Because you think about all the food and covering you've ever had is temporary, right? I'm expecting in about an hour or so a pretty good lunch. I already know where we're going to buy it. And I know what I'm going to order. It's a C23 with extra curry. But you know what I'm going to want about 6 o'clock probably? I might make it to 6 because it's a pretty big lunch. Come 6 o'clock, what am I going to want? Another sandwich, right? And also I think about clothing. You know, this shirt is from my favorite. I do actually, I have a, you wouldn't know this from my sartorial habits, but I do have a favorite brand of clothing. This shirt comes from them, and I'm quite satisfied with it. But in six or seven years, what's this shirt going to be? You know, maybe, maybe we might still use it for polishing a, a mirror. We might use it as a rag to clean up some spills. But this is one of, this, it's a, this, was, this shirt cost me some money. It's my favorite brand. It comes from a very reputable and well-known retailer. But it's, it's, on a, it's on a limited time contract, isn't it? Yeah, there's no lifetime, cloth, not lifetime contract for your clothing. It's all temporary. And the same thing with your house. And the same thing with your car. And the same thing with your very cheap Walmart flat screen TV. Again, a Bible class mentioned. There, there's there's going to be a time when it's like, oh. Look at that. You, st- you got that whole thing around? So what we find is these things are ultimately unsatisfying. And the things that we can actually see are not the best or most important things in life. Friendships can last a lifetime. They don't always. But in the Lord they should. And love does not always last a lifetime, but it can and it should. And forgiveness and a good conscience, and our faith, and our hope. These things, you can't see any of them as a literal thing. You can, like the things of God, see them in effect. And you can feel them in your hearts. But you can't actually see them. Our actual sight is unbelievably limited in this world. And so what we need to do, folks, is look toward and hope in Our great unseen salvation. Where do we start? We were looking to Jesus. Sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this is us trusting in our unseen Savior. Now he was seen by folks, but not by us. They told Thomas about it. And he didn't believe. And eight days later, John 20, 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside. And now Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors were shut. And he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it in my side. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see me and have yet believed. Jesus gave Thomas reason to believe. Just because we haven't always believed, just because we're not even believing right now, doesn't mean we can't believe. It doesn't mean the Lord has rejected us off the list of those who could possibly believe. The Lord reached out to Thomas, as the Lord, through the gospel, is reaching out to all of us. But what we need to do is trust in that one that we will never see except through the eye 
of faith. Moses did this looking forward. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He endured seeing the unseen. That's what we're to do. But we have the confirmation of these credible witnesses by the gospel that he really was here. There are people who we can trust who saw him. And so let us now believe in him through their witness, through their gospel. And let's trust in the Savior that is now, again, unseen as we, again, fixing our eyes on Jesus and running that race toward the heavenly home. We sojourn toward there. Jesus said about that home, John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be. We haven't seen the dwellings in heaven. We didn't see Jesus go get them ready for us. And we have to trust what he says, that I'll come back and get you. I'll come back for you. And we have to trust that he'll receive us to himself. And there we'll get to be with him and we'll see. And we'll see face to face. And there'll be no veil that's necessary as we look to and directly at the face of God. God won't have to veil himself for us. And we won't have to avert our gaze because we're so frightened and afraid. We'll be able to see face to face and he'll be the light of the city. But we see all that by faith. I can see that in my mind as clearly as I can look back and see my childhood home. I can. Because it's described for me in scripture. And so these things are there. My, my future I can see just as well as my own personal past. Because faith has shown the way. Like it says about uh, Abraham in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 10. It says he was looking for a city which has foundations. Whose architect and builder is God. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. From which he received him, his son Isaac, back as a type. He's looking for a city. He looked for that city and could see that city of God by faith. And that's where we stand as well, in the same place as Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. He's the example for all of us because he lived by faith. We think about how much stuff did Abraham actually see? Did he see a great nation? He saw one son. Did he see a great city? He saw the inside of his tent as he woke up each day. But what did he see by faith? He saw by faith the things that God promised to him and his descendants. And so that's, that's where we are, looking for and hoping for, longing for an unseen glory. A glory that is clearly promised. A glory that we have every reason to believe by the effects of it, just like we believe in so many invisible things of this world. We, 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 we see the effects of them. And so we can see the effects of faith. And we can see in the scriptures the reasons for faith. And so we look for, this will be our concluding verse and thought, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's a much better thing to look forward to than whatever is on the news when we wake up in the morning. 
That's a much better thing to look forward to than whatever the election might bring us in a month. That's a much better thing to look forward to than whatever the 401k returns might be over the next decade. That's a much better thing to look forward to than whatever it is that we might otherwise have planned in this world. And so let us see. Let us see that unseen salvation because our vision by faith can be 2020 and beyond even when our vision in this world is difficult. So let us have this hope, faith, and trust in the things we see through faith in Jesus and walk by faith and not sight. With that, we close. Asking this morning if you need to come to the invitation, if you need to be confessing Jesus, confessing sin, coming or coming back, we'd ask you to come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.